Welcome to the Gathering at Adel. Today's message is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. We will look at our greatest need, which is to be forgiven and to be made right with our Father in heaven. You know, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I, I keep track of it. We're, we're, uh, this is the Gospel of Matthew, part 16. So that means uh, we're like four months into this. But good news is it, it starts picking up, right? We're doing a couple of chapters a week. So this next week we'll be sending out a text and email, but we'll be talking about how we're going to be reading through Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew 11 together. So when you go home tonight, when you sit down, you put the kids to bed, open up the word of God, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 and 11, and uh, it'll be great and glorious. I love the word. You know, when, when you look at, Matthew 8 and 9, there, there's a lot of things that you go through and you, you look at. I, I know uh, we ha- I have a house church on Wednesday night. Uh, some, of, some of the people there accuse me of calling it my sermon prep house church, you know, because we we're going through what we're going through. And so they give me a lot of insights. So if you want to see the citation and the quotes that I've used from people in house church, just come look at my notes and I have it, I have it quoted in there pretty good. But... One thing that we talked about at House Church on Wednesday night was when you look at Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, you look at what, what the Lord is doing in there. And what I, what I love is they came to Jesus and there were people that would come to him that were sick or he would go to them. And they, the question that they asked is they would always say, Lord, if you're willing, will you bring this about? There was never a question of, Lord, if you're able In Matthew 8 and 9, and I'll just go ahead and spoiler alert, all the way through the Gospels, there's never that moment where it's like, Lord, if you're able, can you do this? It's always, Lord, if you're willing. And so I think one thing that we have to wrap our minds around is sometimes we don't see the things that we're praying for. We don't see them come to fruition. But it's never a lack on his ability He never does something because he's unable to do it. He never not does something, does not do something because he's not able to. You look in Matthew 8 and 9 and you see that he overcomes sickness and disease, death, the wind and the waves, nature. He exerts his power and authority over all things because this is starting, you know, we're going through his public ministry at this point. And he's starting to establish that he is the supreme power and the authority. He, he has rule and reign over everything. We're going to be looking in, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8 today, if you want to turn there. Uh, I love reading books and stories. Uh, some of my favorite things that I love to read about are people who either planned or unplanned end up in a spot where they have to kind of survive. You know, like most of the time it's unplanned. There's a, there's a book called uh, 80 Days Below Zero. And this guy has a plane crash. I believe it's in Alaska. I got to remember. Uh, 80 Days Below Zero has a plane crash and he has to survive for 80 days where the temps are below zero. And right now, that's what I'm praying for in my life, too. I don't know. We're like in the middle of, <laughs> like, Lord, let me, just put me there. Uh, 
80 days below zero, and he has to survive. And, you know, really when you look at what that, what that takes in you, I, I love those stories probably because I know like that's not in me. You know, I'm just like, hey, just turn the AC on and let's just have a good time. There's something that inspires me like, Lord, I'm so glad I was born when I was born. I couldn't have made it. Not even like 50 years ago. I'm a sissy, right? I need AC. Like, but you read these stories 80 days below zero. There's that, that will and that fight to live. And they say that, that man's most basic needs are, are these five things, that it's food, water, clothing, sleep, and shelter. And that if you find yourself, and, and trust me, what I'm about to say now is not gonna prepare you. you need, if you find yourself there, you better do some more research than what I'm telling you now. Okay, let's just lay that out there. But if you find yourself in a place where, where you have to do those things, there, there are steps that you take that will either ensure that you survive or you survive long enough for someone to come and find you. Hopefully you're missing and people are looking for you. There's, right? But, you know, like, like if you get into those situations, you have to establish shelter and you have to establish a place that you can go back to to stay out of the elements. You gotta begin looking for water, looking for food. Find clothing, find, get, get some sleep. You have to be able to rest and your body has to be able to rest. And there's certain timelines that, hey, we need to establish shelter, a base camp. We need to be able, in this many hours, I need to find a water source. And I gotta figure out, okay, am I gonna have to boil this water? Is this good water? How can I use this? Right, at some point, you're gonna have to begin to start searching for food after you establish that. And so there's all these things that you have to do in order to survive because the most basic needs According to Google, and, and most people out there would say it's food, it's water, clothing, sleep, and shelter. On a much smaller scale, we go on a men's backpacking trip. It's a much smaller scale than that. And one year, uh, I was not going to go, and so I loaned out all of my gear. And then the night before, and, and when I say the night before, I'm talking like the night before, like 7 o'clock. I'm like, man. I think I'm going to go on this thing. And my wife was pleased, you know. And uh, I was like, I think I'm going to go. And she's like, okay, you can go. You and, so I think it was me and Ben that time. So the night before, I've loaned out all my gear. I'm like, man, okay, let, let's start making some phone calls. Let's buy, borrow, beg, whatever we have to do. We've got to get some tents and sleeping bags and all that. Because I loaned it out to a family of four. And I had nothing. I was like, man, here we go. So I, of course, my first call is to one of our elders, Danny Kokenauer, who has 19 of everything. And there are 19 good things of everything. And so I, I, me and Ben, we scrape it all together. Together, we get it. Okay, we're, we're going to be able to survive. It's only five days. We can fast if we have to, and we can make it, right? We're in, he's in decent enough shape. He can haul my bag back and forth if, if I run out of air and oxygen. And so uh, we did that, and it was good. That trip, it rained every day, like in the afternoon and in the evening. And you're, it's okay because it keeps it cool. But what, what I found out is that Danny gave me his backup tent. And Danny's backup tent, he swears nothing was wrong with it, but there was something wrong with it. What happened was there was a hole and rain, it rained every night. And I, I remember laying in there. I, I already get a little claustrophobic. Just you're in a small tent and I, we were joking this week. I take Tylenol PM with me. That's the only time I take Tylenol PM is when I go camping. About seven o'clock, I pop two in my mouth and like nine, I'm done. I'm out. I, I don't, bear can have me because I'm out, all right? But that, that time, 
I'm laying there the first night and it, it starts coming into the tent. Thankfully, it didn't flood the tent, but it just like right in my face, drop, drop. You're like, oh man, what's happening? I look over at Ben, sound asleep. Ben doesn't even know anything's going on, you know? And it's just like, you're like, okay, it's cool. It'll stop. You know, it's pitch black. You've got nothing. It's pitch black. Didn't stop. Awesome. Okay. Long night. Next night, I'm like, okay, we're good. Not going to rain. Wrong. It rains. So I turn myself around. I put my feet, my head down here, put my feet in Ben's face. You know, and you, you just rearrange things. It rained even more. And the rain from the previous night kind of opened up a little bit more of a hole. And so it was just a little bit more. I mean, soaked. You know, then, then you wake up, you pull the, the sleeping bag out, get it out in the sun, it dries out. And, you know, the whole time I could have asked any of the 27 other men that were there and they would have had extra stuff. But there's something called pride that I would rather just be soaked every night instead of ask somebody for some help. But, you know, like, it was miserable. And so, you know, you know how that trip ended? That trip ended with me leaving a day early, spending the night in a hotel, getting a nice, glorious shower. There's something about it. If you don't have shelter, if you don't have sleep, if you don't have these basic needs met, man, it is miserable. And, uh, you know, but, but isn't that, that the same thing for you guys? Probably not on that same scale because you don't have as much pride as I do and y'all would have asked, broken down and asked somebody or you wouldn't have gone on the backpacking trip, which I would recommend. But when, when our basic needs are not met, something happens. We, we actually have a new word that we've invented. I think it's a couple years old. It's called hangry. When, when our basic need of food has not been met, the one that we love, mostly it's men I've seen, we, we've invented a new word, hangry, because that need's not met, and watch out. Right? We, do, we don't get enough water. Our bodies will literally shut down. Speaking to myself here, our bodies will shut down if we don't drink water. We have to have that. If we don't have sleep, have you ever noticed, like, if you don't have sleep, you're, you're a little more irritable? Have y'all noticed that, right? New babies coming around, and it's like no one's sleeping, and everyone's mad at each other. You're like, oh, my goodness. Like, all of a sudden, if you don't get sleep two nights in a row, like, the person that you vowed before everybody and before God to love and to cherish, to have and to hold for rich or poor, for sickness or health, you will turn on them. Little Miss Cranky Pants comes out, and it's like, get away from me. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Just there's something that happens to us when these needs aren't met. But honestly, when we, start, when we begin to look at our needs and we look at Matthew chapter 9, all of those needs are legitimate needs, but our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven and to be made right with our Savior. I mean, all of those needs are temporary. They're physical. They, sure, they mean something, but they don't mean a whole lot, honestly. You can have food, water, clothing, sleep, and shelter to survive, but you will still not live. We were created not to just survive, but God created you with a purpose, and he gave you a new life. Our greatest need is to be forgiven of our sins and to be made right with our Father in heaven. It says that we, that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, full of love, made us alive in Christ. But he didn't stop there. He raised us up and he seated us 
with him in heavenly places. We are saved by grace through faith. Our greatest need, your greatest need, when you walk out of here today, and you'll start looking at your watch at some point because that your stomach's going to begin to growl. Your greatest need is not to know where you're going to have lunch. If you don't eat, you'll be fine. You'll be hangry, but you'll be fine. Your greatest need is to know that your sins are forgiven and to be made right with your Father in heaven. All of the other stuff is temporary. And that's what we look at in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. There's 10 recorded miracles in these two chapters. There's many more because it says, and he brought more people and he healed them, set them free and delivered them. And in these two chapters, Jesus demonstrates his power and authority over not only sickness and disease, but death, but nature, demonic oppression, and even sin itself. And he demonstrated over sin itself, even to where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were shocked and they began to question, who is this? that can forgive sins. I thought only God could do that. But Jesus, in these two chapters, I don't know if you're reading with us this, this week, during the week, encourage you, this next week is Matthew 10 and 11. It's gonna blow your socks off. To, to get into the word, to allow it to shape you and change you will completely change who you are. And one interesting thing from, from these two chapters is, is on more than two occasions, and let, let me quote Rachel Berg is here today. She, she uh, brought this up. So Rachel if this speaks to you, give her credit, not me. But when we begin to look at these chapters, eight and nine, one interesting thing is on more than two occasions, Jesus commends the people for their faith. He said, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. Yeah. And in one instance, Matthew chapter eight, he rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith. Isn't that interesting? The unbelieving, the lost that brought people to Jesus to be healed were commended for their faith, but yet the disciples who walked with him day in and day out were rebuked for their lack of faith. I think that's a message to us in the church that we could become so accustomed and so used to the things of God that we, we lose the awe and the power that he has. Isn't it so much easier to believe it for somebody else than it is for yourself? We can pray for healing. We can stand on, on all the things for someone else. But for us, we throw fits and we whine and we say, Jesus, wake up. It's going to overtake us. And he says, oh, you have little faith. But that honestly is another message for another time. And if we're not careful while reading through these two chapters, we can get caught up with all the miracles. It, it would be so easy to preach on the centurion's faith or how the wind and the waves obey him or the cost of following Jesus. It would be easy to preach on those things. But we can get caught up in the miracles and we can miss out on our greatest need. It's to be forgiven, and to be made right with our Father in heaven. His miracles meet a physical need that no one else could have taken care of. But those things are not the focus of today's story. I want, I'm going to read with you guys Matthew chapter 9, 1 through 8. It will be up here on the screen if you forgot your Bible like our associate pastor did today by confession of his wife. But there you go. It was her turn. She forgot her turn. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. 
Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, he's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher and go home. So he got up and went home. Just when the crowd, or when the crowd said, saw this, they were all struck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. So Father, we just thank you for your word today. I pray that you would use it to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, to encourage us, to sharpen us. Father, may we draw from your word today the, the well of, of living water. May it change who we are. May we see you rightly today. In your name we pray, amen. I love just like one little aside of the story because we're talking about the greatest need is he forgives the, the paralytic man of his sins. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to question him. And, and I love how Jesus just healed him just because, like almost out of spite, like, okay, whatever, I'll just show you. Like, was that even his intention at that point? Maybe, maybe not, but he's like, okay, y'all wanna question me? Uh, go ahead and get up and walk. Like, what? It just as an aside, I go, go ahead, you're, you're free. I, I love that this, uh, this passage occurs a couple more times. Uh, it occurs in Mark chapter 2 and also Luke chapter 5. And so I'm going to read out a, just a couple of verses out of the Luke chapter 5 story. It gives a little bit more detail on there. And uh, it goes, Luke 5 verse 17. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him in on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their face, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I mean, can you, can you imagine the picture that, that Luke paints for us? Jesus is, is in a house and it's full of people and it's overflowing. Not only that, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it says from every village in Galilee, Judea, and Jeru Jerusalem were there. Do you think they were there to encourage him? No. They're there to catch him in something, to see what, he, what he's doing. Why is everybody awestruck by him? And what's interesting is in the house, they were all gathered. People all around the house, outside of the house, there's a crowd. But what are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law doing? They're sitting. Can you imagine what their pose looked like as they're sitting? Legs crossed, arms crossed, skeptical, doubting. They're just sitting, waiting to see Jesus trip up in something, say something that he shouldn't say. And Jesus is sensing this. Four men come carrying a paralytic man on a stretcher. There's no room to get to Jesus. They take him up on the roof and they begin to dig down through the roof. What would happen? What would happen if, if somebody started doing that? Digging through 
you know, there's sticks and there's way that they constructed the roof that, that there were logs that ran long ways and then there would be dirt that was made into mud and then grass put on top to, to make sure it's waterproof. And can, can you imagine, like it wasn't, it's not just like going up there and removing a couple of things. You have to begin to, to dig it out, to get to it, to get through there. And then not only that, like it's not just a little hole to get through there to like shove something to Jesus, like a note, like, hey, come up to the roof. Our friend is up here. They dig a hole big enough to get a man through there. If you're in the house that day, can you imagine looking up like, what, what is going on? The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the, of the law who were sitting down, all of a sudden now they've got dirt and grass and sticks falling down on them. And then the, the men get, make a hole big enough and they, they lower their, their friend down. And the paralytic comes face to face with the Prince of Peace. That all of a sudden, it's all climax to this point. Like, like the encounters that we pray for here today, like for us to see him face to face, for us to look him in the eyes. What's going in the paralytic's mind? What's going on in there when he comes face to face to him? Do you think that at that moment, his thought was, man, I wish I could walk. Or do you think in that moment he looked Jesus face to face, eye to eye, and saw love and grace and mercy? In all of these stories, Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus heals. But in this instance, a man encountered him face to face, looked him eye to eye, and Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Because in that moment, when you're face to face with Jesus, it doesn't matter if you can walk. What matters is that your sins are forgiven and you've been made right with God. All else fails. All else falls into the background. The only thing is when you're face to face with him is that you see him and he sees you. I think he also took this opportunity to heal this man that was carried in on a stretcher to forgive him of his sins because it's very symbolic that we too are just like that man on a stretcher. There's nothing we can do. We, we, we can't try hard enough. We can't earn it. We can't muster up enough strength to have our sins forgiven. We are as helpless as that man is was on a stretcher. And what we long to hear is, man, friend, your sins are forgiven. When all is stripped away, our greatest need is to be forgiven of our sins and to be made right with our Father in heaven. We look at all the other miracles and, and we can get caught up in those, but forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed. It meets the greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing. We lose the awe of what it means to be forgiven because it happens all day, every day. 
We receive his forgiveness by placing our faith and our hope in him and by confessing with our mouth. Like, like when we look at, okay, so practically, how do we do this? What does it mean that our sins are forgiven? Because of our sin, there was a separation between us and God and only Jesus can bridge that gap. We are as helpless as the paralytic man on a mat. There, there, there was a gap because of our sin. To be forgiven of our sins means that that, that, bridge, that, that gap has been bridged. Now that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and we can be made right with him. I think so many times it, people misunderstand and they, miss, they mishear or it sounds good, it sounds cute to say, I found Jesus. You know, like, oh, hey, what happened? What changed? I found Jesus. No, you didn't find him. You ran, he pursued you. You sinned and you separated yourself. He found you, he left the 99 and he ran after you. You sinned and he took it upon him. You didn't find Jesus, Jesus found you, man. Like, like he bled, he died, he was crucified, he rose again. You didn't find him, man, he found you. We, we say, what, what does it mean to have our sins forgiven? It means that Jesus found me, that he called me by name. And that my only response was to say, man, you are him. We confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart, but you didn't find it, you didn't do it, you didn't bridge the gap, it was him, it was all him. To be forgiven means that, that our slate is wiped clean. That, that the word says in Isaiah that, that though our sin was like scarlet, it will be white as snow. That, that though it was like red as crimson, that will be white as wool. To, to be forgiven of our sins means that, that the slate is clean. He remembers it no more. There are, I, I used to religion used to enslave me to constantly going through my sin list and confess and confess and sin. Oh, and at the end of the night, I had to clear it off because what if Jesus came back and I had unconfessed sin? Oh my goodness. To be forgiven means that he remembers it no more and so why do we still carry it? He remembers it no more. He wipes the slate clean. You sin, you confess, it's done. It says that he remembers it no more. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone. It's wiped out of his memory. Yeah. When you travel east, that's east, right? Yeah, thank you, Corey. Corey, I need a little nod. Corey, help me out here. When you travel east, you can only travel east. You'll never travel west. When it says that he remembers our sin no more, as far as the east is from the west, it's gone. You see, if you go north and south on a globe, you'll eventually come there. You know, like, you can only go the one way. If you go north, you'll eventually go south. You go north and south. But when you go east or west, it's only one direction. That's how far your sin is removed. To be forgiven of your sin means it's gone, it's bought, it's been paid for, it's at the cross, it's done. 
There's no greater words in the Bible than the three words where Jesus said, it is finished. It's been bought for, it's been paid for. When it's confessed, he remembers it no more. We carry around so much shame and guilt and condemnation. The enemy loves to remind us of our sins. But if God doesn't remember it, then why should we? It doesn't mean that we don't learn from our mistakes. It doesn't mean that we don't grow and mature and and become Christ followers in his footsteps, not saying that at all. But it means that when we sin, we blow it, when we mess up, we confess it and we move on. The enemy's greatest weapon and tool against you is shame, guilt, and condemnation. He just heaps it on you all day long. But the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God. And we are the righteousness of God, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is and what he has done. So you can never become the righteousness of God because of what you've done, and you can never become the, not become the righteousness of God because of what you've done. You are the righteousness of God because you have been bought for, paid for, made new, slate is clean. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will never walk in darkness again. This is like a monumental message for you to get because I walked in religion for years. And religion will keep you right there. Religion will make you continue to bring that sin up to question your salvation, to question your right standing with God. Because why? Because religion needs you in here. Because we have to pay for buildings and we have ministries and things that we have to do. But the truth of the matter is that religion wants you here, but Jesus wants you out of here. I'm like, like we can't be doing this our entire lives where we come back together and you guys pay me to be here and do all this. And the, the goal is for y'all to go out into the world and for me to show up one Sunday and go, well, I guess they got it. All right, my turn. The goal is not to be here every Sunday, to take notes, to highlight the Bible and say amen and post it on Facebook or whatever you do. The goal is for you to get filled, challenged, encouraged, and to go. Be gone. I love you guys. But I don't want to see you every Sunday for the rest of your lives. I want you to call me from Africa and say, man, we just saw him. We saw Jesus show up like he's never shown up before. I want you to call me. It doesn't have to be after. I want you to call me from Fort Worth and say, hey, Brother Jeff, I haven't been to church in seven weeks. Man, I've been ministering to the homeless and revival is broken out. People are being saved and healed and delivered. I don't want to see you every Sunday. Sneezing all over the place. I want you to be sent out doing things. Because we're called, we're, we're healed, we're saved, we're delivered. We're forgiven it. The thing that keeps us from going out is shame, guilt, and condemnation. Because we'll never think that we're worthy enough to share the gospel because of what I've done. Not just what I've done since I, before I knew Jesus, but since I knew Jesus, since yesterday. Jeff, if you just knew what I saw, what I looked at, what I said, the way that I spoke to my wife, then you wouldn't be asking me to share the gospel. Absolutely, I would. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no shame, there's no guilt. 
Condemnation reminds us of our sin. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, and conviction calls us to a higher place. Condemnation will label us the sinner that we are. Condemnation, you know, you lie. Well, condemnation calls you a liar. Conviction calls you to a place where there's truth, where there's no deceit, where you can stand before the Lord, fully exposed, and there's nothing hidden. Sin, condemnation will call you an adulterer. You might have done that, but that's not who you are. Don't allow condemnation to label you for your sin. You're, you're, you're an addict. You're, you're a poor sport. You're a hothead. You're a motor mouth. Whatever it is. Like, condemnation will put those things on you and label you as those things when Jesus never labeled you. He labeled you as a son and a daughter. A co-heir with Christ. He, he seats you in heavenly places. To be forgiven means that we were once enemies with God. And yet while we were enemies, we were reconciled to him by the blood of Jesus. That we are made right with our Father in heaven when we place our belief and our faith in him in Jesus Christ. To be made right with the Father is something like, like our, our, our greatest need is to be forgiven of our sins. Wiped clean, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. And then to be made right with our Father in heaven. I think so, that's something that plagues all of us. Because we, we question, am I right with God? Am I okay with God? Have I, have I upset him? Have I angered him? Have I disappointed him? But honestly, to be made right with him is so simple. He loves you. He cares for you. That, that when you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that then you are saved, that you've been brought into an eternal kingdom, one that the enemy cannot snatch you out of his hand according to the word. That, that when you begin that journey that of being a Christ follower, man, that, that to be made right with him means that you get to walk with him. Unbroken fellowship. There, there, there's nothing that can separate you now from God. There was a bridge. There, there was a gap. Jesus bridged the gap. Yes. Now we get to walk in unhindered fellowship with the Father. Just according to the word in Genesis. Genesis was the design. I think some of us are going to be disappointed when we go to heaven because we, we think that there's going to be the big fishing hole that we've always been wanting to do or the big whatever. Everybody says, oh, well, Uncle Bill's up in heaven fishing right now. No, he's not. Sorry to disappoint you. Uncle Bill's not. Uncle Bill could not give, give two rats to a flip about fishing right now. Because the design was to walk with him. Lord, do you hear me? In the cool of the day. In the cool of the day, Lord. We're there. That's why I keep it so cold in here, guys. On the back. You know, like, we're supposed to walk with him in the cool of the day. Not in the heat. <laughs> I'm just warming, getting y'all guys ready for heaven. Yes, to be made right with him means that we get to walk in unbroken fellowship with him. There's nothing that can separate you from him anymore. The blood of Jesus allows us to be reconciled to him. We get to walk as sons and daughters 
To be made right with him means that we're reconciled. He's not angry with you. The enemy will pile on shame and guilt and condemnation. He's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. He enjoys you. He likes you. He wants to be with you. When we look at the, the, the gap from the sin, the Lord never strayed from his path. The separation was because of us. His desire is to walk with us in the cool of the day. Like Moses, he talked to him face to face like a man. That's our goal is to be able to walk with him. To be made right with him means to be able to stand with him in unbroken fellowship. Have you ever had an earthly relationship that's not right? You avoid their calls, their texts. You don't want to be in the same room with them. Not because you don't love them but because you know that there's something between you and you don't want to deal with it or you're embarrassed or ashamed. That's what the enemy will do to us with our relationship with God. To be made right with him means that we get to walk with him in the cold of the day. That God loves you and he wants to be with you. That you are made right with him because you've been reconciled to him by the blood of Jesus Christ and it was good enough and it's finished. Yeah. Why is this important? To know that we've been forgiven and that we've been made right with him. Because up until that point, until you get that, you'll struggle your entire life with thinking that you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not holy enough, that he couldn't use you because I can't do this or that person did that or I looked at this or I'm addicted to this or I have these thoughts and these feelings and these emotions. You'll spend your entire life focused on all of those things when the focus of the story was not that the man couldn't walk. The focus of the story was that his greatest need was to be forgiven and to be made right with God. Your greatest need is to be forgiven. Can you imagine if we could get to a place where our greatest need was not what we're going to have for dinner? That our greatest need wasn't like, Lord, where am I going to live? My greatest need wasn't, Lord, I need you to heal me because I, I, I have this disease, I have this sickness. But what if our greatest need, what if we got to the place where we say, Father, I love you. What, what if we took our vows in marriage and applied them to our relationship with Jesus and sickness and health for rich or for poor? Till death do us part, I give myself to you. What if we got to the place where we, we, we get cancer and we're not shaken, we're not rocked, we're not crying out, begging for intervention, but we just say, Father, you're good. I don't even have to ask you. I don't even have to say the words because he already knows what we need before we even ask. If our greatest need was not, Father, I need help with this, but it's like, Lord, is there anything between, am I hiding anything from you? I want to be fully exposed before you. Could you imagine if, if your neighbors saw you live a life in such a way that your greatest need wasn't all of the other things that everybody else thinks they need, but you lived in a life that you were completely satisfied, that you've been forgiven, 
that you've been made new, that your slate has been wiped clean, and that you're a son and daughter of Jesus Christ? Like, what, what if that was enough? What, what if all of this other stuff didn't come, wasn't here? Is he enough? Is he enough in sickness and in health for rich or for poor? Is he enough? I think once we get it, why is it important? Because once we get it and people see us live a life in such a way, it says that we have been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus and now we are ministers of reconciliation. What if we lived in such a way that our goal in our life was to make sure that everybody knows that reconciliation that I have, that they can have it too. What if everybody at work, everybody in your family knew, man, Jeff's different. What's going on with him? Why is he that way? Because that same reconciliation that I have, they can have too. We were placed on this earth not just for us to receive and be happy and we're good, all right, done. To live the American dream, to, to have the, the White House or the white picket fence, the 2.4 kids or whatever the average is nowadays, right? The, the job and this and that and do all those things. What if we were placed here with a purpose? Ephesians 2.10 says that for you are God's masterpiece, your most prized possession, that, that you are God's masterpiece, that you were created to do good works which he prepared in advance for you. What if our, our, our calling isn't to be an engineer? What if our calling isn't to be a pro athlete? What if our calling isn't this and that, but what if our calling is to be a minister of reconciliation? When you truly get it, there's so much more freedom. When you truly get that you're forgiven, that you've been made new and clean, wiped, slates clear, it changes something in you. You're able to live in such a way that there's so much more freedom. I know one, our, our pastor at Brock, he, uh, he, he tells this story about him and his wife. They had been into a, a fight, a, a, a pretty bad one. She came back and she said, Jesse, I want, you, I want to tell you, I will never leave you. I will never divorce you. He said in that moment, there was so much freedom. Not that he knew that he could do whatever he wanted, treat her however she, he wanted to treat her, say whatever he wanted to say. But that in that moment, there was so much freedom that he could live life as the Lord has called him. And that his wife is never going to leave him. What if you understood that today that God is standing before you and he's saying, I'm never going to leave you. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, no matter what you don't say, I'm never going to divorce you. Do you understand the freedom that that provides you? That people will say, well, well, that much freedom that's going to lead to sin well, the word says that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, even more. The Greek word means super abounds, an abundance. 
That when we walk in such a way that we know that we are forgiven, that we have been made new, wiped clean, slates done, there's no shame, guilt, condemnation, then all of a sudden that frees Jeff Hopkins up to be Jeff Hopkins. It frees me up to take a risk because I know that, that my father is good. It, it frees me up to share the gospel because I know he's not going to leave me or forsake me. He's not going to make me look like an idiot. It, it frees me up to be generous with my money because I know that I can't outgive him and I know that he, he's not going to call me to something and go, okay, now you got to move out of your house because you gave it all away. Man, the Lord is good. He's going to take care of you. When all of the little situations that arise, when you have the right understanding of it, they become little. I, I mean, I, I, I could speak from a place of, of this, of freedom from all the things that I've been set free from. But when we can come to a place where all of a sudden a, a cancer diagnosis is little, yep. little, not monumental. Yes, and I'm not belittling it. I'm not making light of it. When, when, when there's relationships issues, when there's money issues, when there's addiction, when we have a right view of who he is, when we give him, like the song says, the highest place, then all of those things don't matter. If we get caught up in the miracles, if we get caught up in all the things that he can do and wants to do, then we can miss out on the little things that he's telling us that truly shape who we are. We can pursue the miracles and miss out on the relationship. We can go and do all the things, but yet still be empty. I can't promise you that he's going to heal you of leprosy. I can't promise you that he'll raise you or somebody from the dead. I can't promise he'll make you walk again. I can't promise that he'll give you sight if you're blind. But I can promise you that when you come to him and you confess and you believe, that your sins will be wiped out, that you'll be made new, that everything that was dead, that because you were dead, and now you'll be brought to life. The things that we are to pursue are not the things of the physical, but of the spiritual. What good is it if you can walk, if you're going to spend eternity walking in hell? What good is it if you can see, if you can see all the torture in hell? Our greatest need is not to walk again. Our greatest need is not to be healed of our sickness and our disease. Our greatest need is not food, clothing, shelter, sleep, water. Our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven and to be made right with our Father in heaven. You guys are dismissed. I'm going to pray. If there's something tugging in you that go, man, I just want to confess this. Or, man, I've never, I've never done that before. I don't even know what that means or looks like. But I want to. I want to be found by Jesus. I want to know that he's looking for me and that he found me. I'll be up here after service if anybody wants prayer for anything. If you want shame, guilt, and condemnation broken off of you, I'd love to pray for you. I'm going to pray and dismiss for whoever wants to go, but for whoever wants to stay and receive prayer, I'll be here.